You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, and we are on. How are you, folks? I am back. It's good to be back. It's been a while. I'm sorry, but heck. Okay, <laughs> uh, I actually reached out to this man via Instagram. I've never met him in my entire life, but he runs a... Maybe a couple libertarian accounts. I'm not sure if you run Twitter or anything like that. But uh, if you go out and follow We Are Libertarians on Instagram, you got some great content. Um, it'll think, make you, not even if you want to think in a different way, but it'll give you a different perspective on things, which is excellent. I think everybody needs and open their mind a little bit. But uh, Chris, go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Say hi to the Clueless Graduate Podcast. Hashtag bad decisions. Hello, hello, everybody. My name is Chris Spangle, and yeah, I've run We Are Libertarians since 2012, and it is a podcast that helps give you context around the news and uh, makes you think. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, man. I actually, uh, I don't know why I didn't reach out to you earlier, maybe because I didn't have po- my podcast going as much, but uh, I followed your account, maybe. <sighs> I probably see, and I like a year ago, dude. I didn't know you were since 2012, man. That's that's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, you must have your following probably, you know, you saw it grow so much. It's it's good that people are starting to jump on board, you know. Yeah, like, it's it's always interesting in a presidential year how much things expand, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, the just in the last few days we've had a few hundred people follow us. I think people are trying to figure out what the heck's going on and. We are we are trying to fill that void. So you know, I've been in politics and media since two thousand uh, since two thousand and one, and so I, I've I've seen it all. I've been through it all at this point, and uh, just try to apply all that plus the libertarian ideology to current events. And Chris, uh, tell these folks where you're from exactly. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Okay. See, two different walks of life. Um, I'm obviously from here on the west coast. I'm from LA. I live in Vegas now, though, but. Uh, born and raised out here and it's just very interesting that it's cool i think it's awesome this is the first time this ever happened where i've put someone that i've never met before on the, on the <laughs> podcast so this is actually very interesting and i'm very glad that i'm i i'm I, ha- I have you on here you know but um this this podcast um what it is going to be on bad decisions that's what the new premise is but um we will get to that at the end because i really want to talk especially what's going on right now i, I want to talk about everything that's going on right now um with you know just all this madness basically mm-hmm. like you know this is a bunch of uh damn near 
I wouldn't say revolution, but something's bound to change. I well, that's what I, I'm I would say. Awakening. Too. I think a lot of people okay, are. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I don't think that this is a rebellion. I don't think that this is anything of the sort. I think you had a lot of teenagers that were locked in their house for three months and then acted 17 and looted and rioted. But I think there's some genuine, you know, there's less of them and more protesters who are peaceful. And they are repeatedly saying the same things that they've said for hundreds of years, which is give us all of our freedom. And... I think a lot of because the reality is that if you are a person of color in this country, you have had the boot of the government on your neck your entire existence in this country. And white America has not. And my experience as a white male, Christian, conservative, leaning lifestyle here in Indianapolis, growing up in a town 98% white in Plainfield, you know, I had a different experience than my co host Harry, for instance. And. It takes talking to someone like Harry who has to say to a person like me, every time I leave the house, the thought in my mind is, will I come home? What will I experience? And he has experiences that I don't. And so, you know, I I do believe in white privilege, for instance, because I have to learn about racism. I don't inherently experience racism. And so that is a fundamental difference between my experience in this country and someone like Harry's. And I think that the conversation in the last few years has finally come to white consciousness. You know, the, there's a great movie called Selma about uh, Selma, Alabama, and MLK, and he looks at two. He looks at John Lewis and the other SNCC activist and says, "You're working in the community to raise black consciousness. I'm trying to raise white consciousness, especially LBJ's, to put pressure on him because." What Martin Luther King Jr. understood is that you need the majority of this country to police the government because the government will not police itself. The government will protect itself. Mm -hmm. And when the people start policing the government, then things start to change. And so white America has not has slept on the job. They have let their their fellow Americans down repeatedly. And if you watch L.A. 92 on Netflix, you see during the Watts riots, black protesters, politicians, police, journalists saying the same thing that they said in 92, saying the same thing they're saying now. And so, you know, I think if you're if you're I'm on another podcast called The Pat Down and my co-host Dion said, I don't know how to fix any of this. If I knew how to fix it, I would. But it takes a majority of this country to stand up and police the government and hold them accountable and make them suffer consequences. And that majority is white. And so white consciousness is being infiltrated right now to understand exactly what is happening in America. And it's a great thing. And so, you know, I look at the black squares on Instagram, for instance, and I kind of roll my eyes a little bit because a lot of those people think that their work is done because they've posted a black square to Twitter, but at least they've made that effort to virtue signal. And maybe the next step is that they will take some action because they've now dipped their toe in the pond of activism. And the next step may be calling their local uh, legislator and saying, end qualified immunity, end the power of the police unions, start hold, start making police officers personally liable for their actions because what's happened is police unions have erased the consequences that police officers 
suffer, and they've redistributed that to us taxpayers. So they don't get charged when they get in when they do something violent and horrible. They don't personally pay for it. They suffer no consequences, and they get their jobs back. And so, what is the message when you re- you remove consequences? You incentivize more bad behavior. And so, what? most of America is now saying is they need to suffer consequences and we're beating up on the police, but let's not forget that the police are just enforcing every law that a politician has passed. And the reality is that every politician should go out for one month a year and ride with police officers to enforce the laws that they are outsourcing to police because they're the ones stoking division. They're the ones pushing the police to, police more they're the ones making police officers do their dirty work and we shouldn't let lawmakers off the hook either definitely agree with that man i and like you said um about uh i wouldn't say not so much i guess you like you said like the, when you give the government the power they and it comes down it comes down to like as you saw in la with the they had armored fucking car the police had armored vehicles they had armored yeah. cars i'm gonna touch on that that was kind of uh it kind of it may, it sends you a sign like who the, why the hell would you need an armored tank for not on tank but like a half track looking thing you know it, it's, yeah nimrod armored as a police department like all you're doing you're, it's not like and that that's just how much money they have and how much uh I guess it's a sign of, I think it's a sign of somewhat fear. They know that they're outnumbered by the people. And the fact that, the fact that, uh, what am I trying to say here? Well, it's about power. They're putting, they're putting their power in your face. So when you go to the county fair here in Johnson County, a county south of, Indianapolis, a county that has no real crime, a county that is majority white, a county that is very peaceful with a town like Greenwood. They have four MRAPs, and they display them at the county fair. And what is the message? We're in charge and you're not. Don't fuck with us, yeah. Yeah, and so when a Facebook message pops up last week in Greenwood, Indiana, that Meet at the mall at 3 p.m. and take whatever you want. Let's loot the mall. Who knows if that was a real post? Who knows if that was true or not? But what the Greenwood Police Department did, a a town of, I think, less than about 100,000 people, is they rolled out four MRAPs and a police helicopter. And the sheriffs and the police were doing, you know, phalanx, like Roman soldiers in the parking lot of the mall. And the mall shut down. And you just go, why is this amount of force necessary for a town like Greenwood? And the reality is there's, uh, I think it's section 1093, I forget exactly what it is, but there's a great book called Rise of the Warrior Cop that outlines that police departments were given military equipment by the military because since the 70s they've had all this equipment from wars left over, and so let's give it to police to fight the drug war, to fight terrorism. Well, guess who has become the terrorist? Do you remember 10 years ago when we were fighting terrorists? Do you remember being afraid of people with Muslim names? Do you remember when we were being propagandized to hate those people instead of just each other? You now have 
Tom Cotton writing that we should invade American states, democratic cities, and Donald Trump co-signing no quarter uh, authorizations. Like a no quarter authorization means you get no due process. If you are on the street breaking curfew and the police or the military kill you, they will suffer no consequences. So what do you think happens? Then more people die. You know, and and this is coming from a president that just tear gassed his way through a crowd of people exercising the First Amendment rights so he could hold a Bible that he doesn't read upside down out of a church that he doesn't go to to cynically try and fool Christians into thinking he's one of them. And he did actually tear gas people. So let's be clear about that, because the parks police came out and said, no, sorry. Yeah, we did tear gas people on Friday. And. The Trump campaign just lied, knowingly lied, and said, we didn't tear gas anyone. And the useful idiots just parrot that left and right, saying, yes, no one was tear gassed. Well, we knew they used pepper balls, which produces a gaseous substance that causes tears. It may not be tear gas, but it's tear gas. And so quit playing semantics and start waking up to the fact that you are voting for a president that will disrespect your religion, profane your sacred book, just to lie and manipulate you into, into supporting him. And then we'll line troops up around the Lincoln Memorial with no discernible markings, no badge numbers, oh, and no yes. due process oh. following them. So what is happening in America when we now are talking about Third Amendment violations in this country? Did you ever think you'd ever have to talk about the Third Amendment in your life, about quartering troops? I didn't, but we now have... Lit the entire, you know, under Obama, we just lit half the Bill of Rights on fire. Now we're lighting the whole damn thing on fire. <laughs> Especially with this curfew, too. And yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't understand it. And it's so it's funny how like blind a lot of people are to it. Like it's 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 sad, I guess. It's very sad. So it displays the ignorance, right? Like because people you- don't constitutional conservatives that stood next to me at tea parties that I was one of the founding people here in Indiana. I was at the founding meeting of the Indiana Tea Party next to my constitutional Christian conservative friends. And all those people have lined up to support Trump's law and order messages. And what you're saying is that you no longer care about the Constitution. You no longer care about the spirit of the founding. You care about the power that the Constitution and the current force of law gives you to control your fellow citizens, and you don't want to give that up. You don't care about freedom. You care about control. And so we can't be we cannot find allies with people that want to use the force of government. They're no different than Democrats who want to use the force of law to take over the economy with the Green New Deal or to impose new social programs like they want to control you. And so the two party system has become a sickness in this nation and has given us all Stockholm syndrome that thinks that we have to buy into one of these two choices or else voting has become self-defense and it doesn't need to be that way. You can vote differently. You don't understand that, though. That's the problem. Yes. That's, I mean, they're scared. Like, I was talking to my roommate here, and I said, like, I'm voting third party. And he said, no, that's only going to help Trump win. I was like. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm not going to pick. I'm not going to pick between two fucking old rapist men. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not. That's not the reason why I'm going to pick them. It's obviously because I don't agree with either of their shit. But on top of that, they're just shitty people. Why the hell would I even? And like you said in your thing, too, which made me think. I mean, a lot of your stuff, like really i hope is an eye-opener um i believe it was you maybe it was someone are you do you run the twitter one being libertarian by any chance which what is it it's being libertarian you, you don't run that no one, it is you? not no it's okay it's gone under various management changes and i have not been associated with them okay but uh it said like if you were voting for it's pretty much saying that the president has too much power if, you know ba- that's basically what it said like if if it makes that much of a difference on who you're voting for then the president obviously has too much power right and that made a lot of sense i was like wow that i mean that's pretty fucking true and and the power that's the thing with the libertarianism is like the power should be in the hands of the people the government should be fucking afraid of the people that's true freedom right i forget the quote but it's saying like uh freedom is when your government fears you or something like that mm-hmm. if they if they fear you so and that's the one i say going back to the cops like if they over, they're over here having military, you know, vehicles and stuff, um, I think they are scared because if shit were to hit the fan, then they would. That's their. That's what they're going to use. They're not going to use that half track for I don't anything else other than, you know, having a. I think it's just like fighting against the people. They the pulled masses. it. They pulled and, it out against conservatives in Texas. They rolled that thing out as as conservatives were gathering in a protest at a bar, for their right to go to a bar and drink. There is no crime so small that the government will not attempt to kill you over or succeed mm-hmm. at it. You know, George Floyd tried to pay with a counterfeit 20 bill. You, you have paid with a 20, $20 bill that's counterfeit in your life. You don't know it because they're really good at counterfeit $20 bills. The difference is that if I were in George Floyd's situation, I'd probably get the benefit of the doubt from either the police officer or the store owner. George Floyd did not get that. And then everyone saw what black America has been saying for almost their entire existence. You can go back and listen to any Malcolm X speech, and he's talking about the problems that led up to George Floyd's death. We can't pretend that this is all new and revelatory and we didn't know. It's like, no, go listen to NWA's Fuck the Police. That is clearly documenting (laughs) what everyone in Black Lives Matter is saying right now. The problem is the problem, and, and admitting that the problem exists does not mean that you are co-signing on big government solutions or losing your identity as a white Christian conservative man in Nebraska. It's admitting that there is a problem that we all need to solve because we're all fellow humans, we're all fellow Americans. Now, what we have to understand is that fundamentally the problem is that every law passed carries force from the government. The reason Donald Trump is not smart enough to persuade you. Joe Biden is not eloquent enough to persuade you. And so to in to get their vision of America to be forced onto the country, they must use guns to do it. 
And so any talk of police reform must carry the conversation about government reform and reducing the amount of things that we are passing and the amount of things that we are asking the government to do because every law passed because without listen without the police politicians are just people with bad opinions the police are the vanguard of the state enforcing all of the laws at every level every regulation upon its people even as small as you can't drink in a bar on a Thursday afternoon or else we're going to roll up a tank and we're going to arrest you. And if you break curfew after 8 p.m., we're going to arrest you. If you can't feed your kids but open the business that you've spent decades investing in, we're going to arrest you. So what what white Americans especially need to understand, what all Americans need to understand is the economic insecurity that you felt over the last three months that has been imposed upon you by the government, the legal imposition and oppression that you felt over the last two or three months, is the way that people of color in this country have felt forever. And this is what they're saying. And state power has now metastasized from them to everyone. And so when the government shutdowns took place two months ago, they showed you that they will stop at nothing to enforce their laws, even if the law is complete and totally nonsense. It's about you obeying and you kneeling and you maintaining submission to the state. And so if you want less violence, if you want less police violence, you have to ask the state to do less. And you have to start looking at peaceful, nonviolent solutions you know, and people always say, well, we can't have libertarianism because violent street gangs will be fighting and roving and imposing their will on you. What do you the only violent street gangs roving the streets of Avon, Indiana, are the police imposing <laughs> their will upon its citizens. But because of patriotic messages and law and order propaganda, they make you think that they're on your side. Well, wake up, America. They're not on your side. They're on the side of the politician that is willing to use force to make you obey. And so they're the roving street gangs that are choosing to use violence against you. They're the ones that are dividing you against your fellow Americans and preventing you from having peace and harmony and transactions that work for everybody. They divide us. They inflame us. They make us feel dehumanized, have dehumanized thoughts against our fellow citizens. You have to stay stop. If you want to fix it, you have to wake up. You have to stop buying into the bullshit of the two-party system and the system that we have built. We are the ones who built this. We are the ones who can tear this down and start looking at a more peaceful solution, a more peaceful path to the future. But it depends on you accepting that a different way must be pursued because until you do it it will never happen i will just be a voice on the fringes in the wilderness saying let's have nonviolent solutions across the board as everyone else in the majority continues to choose violence and i'm glad that people are starting to wake up because they're saying we're protesting police brutality and their response is more police brutality that but but there are some that I, like I, I personally, I know, I know. Well, I think I know what it's about. I, I mean, for me, it's about, like you said, police brutality, and and for you, I'm sure it's about police brutality and their power, and and they have too much power. Fuck, who the hell gets? What do you get arrested three days later? Kill somebody? I'm gonna get arrested three days later. Yeah, what kind of shit is that? 
Um, and it took all these riots and shit, right, in order for him to get arrested. But back to what I was saying, um, God damn it, dude. I haven't done this so long. It's, it's just a train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. I have so much on my mind to, to let out right now. But um, back to – oh, yeah. The, the, the premise is, is – not, not the, but the premise, but the point. A lo- but a lot of people are trying to say it's more of a racial thing. And it's like well, – I get it. It is somewhat of like against racism, but it's like not really, man. Like not really – it's not so much against racism. Don't get me wrong. Racism is – it's terrible. We want to eradicate it, of course, but this should be more, not what it should be, but it it has to do with race but at the same time. Like like you said, if you were George in George Floyd's shoes, you probably wouldn't have got a knee to your fucking neck. Yeah, there's and, no uh, doubt about it. I mean, there's every statistic on the planet. You read the book, yeah. The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and you'll see how much more fortunate I am than a black man in this country. Like, it, 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 racial... There is a racial component to this, just as there is a political and governmental power component to this so you know i think i think sometimes libertarians especially white right-leaning libertarians want to make it about their culture and the what about ism as what about duncan limp and what the reality is that there is a racial component to this and we cannot dismiss that and we cannot continue to use what about ism to avoid the uncomfortable conversations around race in this country when every single black person I know, regardless of religion or political persuasion, every single black friend I've ever had, they, every single black Instagram and Twitter follower I have has a story about racial, racial, uh, racial epithets being screamed at them. Uh, you know, it exists. It's a part of our yeah. culture and we have to recognize it and start fighting it. And start saying, no, this is not how I'm going to raise my kids. This is not how I'm going to act. And it has to come from white America waking up and not wanting to avoid those uncomfortable conversations. Like, I don't think that people, I don't think that most people in this day and age are racist. I think you look at, especially people under 40, like millennials are 40% multi-ethnic, you know, and so... Mm -hmm. There is a large block of millennials that are, are are not racist per se, but they are unwilling to engage in black culture unless it's on their terms. Or they're unwilling to give up certain aspects of their language that are considered unempathetic and hurtful to people of color. You know, they're unwilling to look at the the history of this country and... I was one of those people, you know, and until two, three, four years, it really was Ferguson. You know, Ferguson kind of, I went, oh, something's not right here. Like, people aren't this angry for no reason. And then I read a book called Rabbit by a comedian named Miss Pat, and I was stunned at at the level of poverty that she, it's a great book. I read it in like two hours. It's hilarious. She's my co-host now. And then you read, read Rise of the Warrior Cop. You read The New Jim Crow. You start to open up dialogue with black friends and you start to go racism is a problem in this country and Mm -hmm. it needs to be fought because it's a form of collectivism it is collectivizing people and if you're an individualist like myself you take every person individually i don't view every cop as bad i don't view every protester as a looter i don't view every podcaster as this way or that way you know 
I don't view every black person this way or every white person that way. You know, labels are helpful in broad conversations, but you can't base your personal worldview around those labels. And that's what we tend to do. Yeah, then that's what the, I guess, the average dude tends to do. Like, um, like you said about you're not all anti-cop. Like, from my experience, I'm actually, it doesn't look like it, but I have, I'm, I guess, 25% of me. My grandmother is black, and, you know, my brother probably looks the most black out of all of us. He has mm-hmm. curly hair, and he's a little darker. Uh, well, not darker, same skin complexion, but he he's, has curly hair. You know, you can see it. Like, he has a little black in him, and... um. My experience with, uh, I guess, profiling, racial profiling, out here, I mean, not out here, back at home in L.A., I'm sure, I don't know how cops are with, I'm sure in different towns, if it's a small town, the cops are probably nicer. But when you go to a city, when you go to a city, LAPD, and I don't know, I've never dealt with LAPD, but I've dealt with my town, Carson Sheriff, and... You know, I've had U-turns pulled on me and getting pulled over, right? Like, what kind of shit is that? Like, right. I, I literally, minding my business, a U-turn. I see him flip a U-turn, pull me over. Another, and other times, I got my balls touched. I got handcuffed, put in the back of a car. And that made me, I have like a hate. I have a hatred toward my, that department. And it's not, I don't, and that's the only thing. Like, I, I have plenty of cop friends. I have. Articulate what causes the hate. What feelings Cause the, a, the, cause the, the feeling of just being powerless, you know, just being power. Like I can't do shit to, to, for, I can't, I can't like, you just, you're like I said, you're powerless. You're, you're what, it, what term am I looking for? I'm vulnerable, but, uh, property. Uh, there's a term. What do I say when I, cause I train in jujitsu when I just, I just, someone's just on top of you and submission just, just can't do submissive, you know, no, not submission. It's like, you really can't do anything about it. Powerless, I guess, right? Is mm. you, you can't. I just that's what I felt, and I just felt uh, it's sad. You know, you go home and you talk to your parents about, you know, they just pulled us over. Like we had no reason. Like I didn't get a ticket. There was nothing. He just told me to step out of the car and started searching my shit. And I go home, and you could just see like my father's face. You know, my dad's the half black guy. He's black and Puerto Rican, and. He's dealt with, you know, law enforcement in in his past, growing up in the same town, same city. And uh, I could see it on his face how ashamed, not ashamed, but like sad he was for me. Like he didn't want me to experience that because I was at, we were good kids. We never, you know, broke the law, nothing like that. And and for the police to be pulling us over, me and my brother and a friend of mine, and just fucking with us like that, putting us in the back of the cop car with handcuffs, like why? And, and there's other better things they could be doing. Like, okay, answer this question for me. Is a cop's job? It's only to if they catch someone breaking the law. They have to act. Is is it their job to look for shit? Because I'm pretty sure it's not right. They're not supposed to be looking. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, yes and no. So suspicion, quote unquote. So the 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 role of law enforcement has always evolved and changed, and it depends largely on the individual. But by and large, the job of a police officer is to respond to violations in the community. Okay. Now, in my world, in 
what I would prefer is what's called a night watchman state where acts of aggression are corrected. And so the state exists only to ensure that when people are killed or their property is destroyed or there's fraud committed, that's when the state will step in and will will put people in jail, will arrest people and will will, you know, but I do it through private policing. Uh, which is voluntarily contracted. You do it through, I don't know that I'd have private courts, but the, that's my version of what it ought to be. And so in America, the role of the police is has been expanded to, it's seen as a protectionary force. So me, as a white American here on the south side of Indianapolis, the police exist to make me feel comfortable and safe. Well, yeah. guess what? When I've had my property stolen, I had my t- the tires off my car stolen. You know what the police did? They didn't do anything. They didn't take that theft, investigate it, and try and solve that crime. So because no one will face consequences, that person will continue to do that. They continue to take wheels, as recently as last week, off of cars in the neighborhood because they know nothing's going to happen to them because police are too busy out doing revenue collection. They're out stopping speeders and pulling over people with broken taillights and raising revenue because here in Indiana, we have something called home rule where if you want to raise revenue and taxes, you have to go to the legislature and have those taxes increased. Well, the Republican legislature doesn't want to go back to their district and say they raise taxes. And so you are strangling local local police departments and every other bureaucracy because federal, state, and local mandates require that more be done, more regulations need to be enforced, more laws need mm. to be passed, more, 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 more. And so every aspect of the bureaucracy of the administrative state basically is non-functional because there aren't enough resources. There's The decision-making is removed from the person. If you go into a private business and you need to speak to a manager, the person on site probably will be able to help you fix a problem. If you need to go into the BMV or to the police station and you have a significant problem, it gets kicked up to somebody that has their job because they were friends with a politician and they can't fix any of the actual issues because they need the legislature to fix it or an executive to sign off on it and they have a mound of paperwork on their desk. And the problem becomes worse in policing because then you have police officers who are being shot at all the time and the community hates them and they're making $60,000 for their troubles and they have no support from the local politicians. They feel completely abandoned. And so what do they do? They band together. And so when some man gets pushed down in Buffalo, 57 of them feel they have to resign (laughs) to support each other because they feel they're in on this alone. And that feeling of isolation makes them more uh, crouched down into a defensive position, which makes them more violent. And so the, the role of policing is not to keep you and me and our property safe. That is the role of you. You in the American system are to protect your person, your property and your family and your community. And so we have tried to push responsibility away from individuals and towards the state. And the state yeah. cannot function 
for I'm not just a libertarian because of moral and philosophical reasons. It's a utilitarian reason too. It doesn't function. It doesn't work. The police can't protect you when we have an economic turndown. Save money because the best they can do is twelve hundred dollars or six hundred dollars a week for three months. You know the. They're insufficient in terms of saving you and protecting you and keeping your person and property safe. You cannot build a government that can guarantee that when you walk out of your house that you will return safely to it. You need to take responsibility for that. You have to take responsibility for your store, for your business, for your family. And so we look at the police as a force that is there to keep us safe and comfortable. The role of the police is that they are the vanguard of the state. They are the tip of the spear. They are there to protect our rights. They are there specifically to protect the rights of the person in their custody. And so all the stuff in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, they're the ones pushing that instrument. They're instrumental in making sure that when George Floyd is arrested, his constitutional rights are guaranteed. He understands his constitutional rights, that he is afforded due process, and that he is arrested safely. Well, that police officer did not recognize his right to life. And so mm-hmm. he should be locked up because he doesn't get a special set of rights as a super citizen because he works for the government. I have bad news for you. If you were a teacher, if you were a firefighter, if you were a government employee of any type, if you're a police officer, you work for me. You are a public servant. You are not a, set, a super citizen. And so the role of policing is to respond to calls for help, right? And then when they get there, to ensure that rights are protected and that due process is, is taken. So they're there to protect victims. Well, how many rape kits are sitting on the shelf? If you're a victim of domestic violence in this country that has tried to seek help from the police— how do you, ask any of them, why do you think women are so quick to stand up for black Americans after George Floyd? Because 50% of this country, and I think that it's probably higher because it goes unreported, have been violently attacked by someone, especially men, and then they went to help get help, and help didn't come from the people that were there to serve and protect them. They were told... Why didn't you shake your boobs at the stalker, and then I could have caught him if you had him stick around a long longer? That that was said to a police officer by a friend, or, you know, I think you're just making this up. That was said to another friend who was a victim of domestic violence. And so they've experienced the dismissiveness of the system and the lack of protection that exists. And so that is why women are so quick to stand up and say, enough. You're not going to treat our children like this. You're not going to treat our brothers and our fathers and our husbands like this because they've experienced the inherent violence and lack of concern found within the system. And so what policing should be is a system that answers a phone call and shows up to keep a situation under control. What policing has become is a revenue-generating proposition. And it has forced police officers to do more and more, and so there's a lack of community policing. So they no longer know who they're protecting and serving. They are just running from call to call to call. And so what happens is they dehumanize the people that they serve. 
and they start to see everybody as a criminal. I rode along with a police officer at 18 because I thought about becoming a police officer, and Brian, the police officer in my local town, said he'd been on the job eight years. He goes, at 15 years, something happens to you when you're a cop. You've spent 90% of your time around the bottom 10% of the rung of the society and so now 90 percent of the society looks like that bottom 10 percent rung and so Mm -hmm. you've become conditioned to see everybody as an enemy and so now everybody's being treated as an enemy because there's no one stepping back that's why that flint michigan sheriff walking with protesters felt so good because it was love in action it was us saying we're not enemies let's de-escalate the situation and start a dialogue and Police officers are given 57 hours a year in weapons training and two hours a year in de-escalation training here in Indiana. Well, (laughs) what do you think is going to be their first instinct? You've conditioned them to choose violence over nonviolence. And so the entire system is just completely messed up. It's to the point that four officers standing around George Floyd being murdered for nine minutes don't react. They don't see it as a problem because it's a systemic issue. So I don't know if that clears it up, but that, that in my mind, the role of policing has gone from something that is very specific to something that is very uh, broad and nebulous. Yeah. And um, going back to what you said about the 15 year marker, I I can understand. I mean, that's why I, 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 I can't say I don't understand, but I myself thought about becoming a cop too, but you had to stop and think like maybe I'll become one of them, you know, well, one of those evil guys, you know, that, that just, like you said, just everyone looks like an enemy. I just can't have that. Cause you never know. You never know about, uh, the, I mean, it happens all the time to cut. You see it all the time. So uh, who are you to say it won't happen to me? Like you don't know that. You've watched the. I'm sure you've watched the experiment, that movie of, of the Stanford experiment, or you've heard about it. No. The Stanford prison experiment. You never seen it. Or um, heard of it? maybe there's one of these. I thought this was kind of discredited. The Stanford uh, prison experiment. Yeah. What? Remind me. Jog my memory. So, they put. It's a psychological experiment. They got some college kids. You know, um, for two weeks the goal was to. I'm gonna make let's say six guards and 10, 12, uh, I don't know how many kids. I'm just throwing numbers out there, dude. But, um, and 10, 12 prisoners. So they had guards and prisoners. And they said, I just want you guys to act like your guards are prisoners. Like, it's not real. It's an experiment. Just go ahead. So they were in cells. It was time to eat. It's time to eat. It's like they're in jail, basically. They're, they're role-playing jail. It's supposed to last two weeks. They get paid. Once violence starts, once the violence starts, like once things get out of hand, they have to shut it down. I want to say after five or six days, they they had to stop it. Maybe even less. Maybe four. But they didn't even go a week. I know that's for damn sure. They were supposed to go two weeks. But the, the cops just got, not the cops, but the, the guards, basically cops, they got too violent. And they got too, they got on their power trip. And it's called the Lucifer effect. Mm-hmm. When you you don't know how you're gonna handle power like that, like if, when you're in power, some people will abuse it, and um, it was it was just a ugly ugly movie, but I mean, it was a good movie. I liked it, and then the 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 experiment was very interesting, 
And you just, people never know, like, and you got to understand that too about these cops. I mean, I'm not saying feel bad for the bad cops. No, definitely not. But, um, they're only so much human. Like they're, they, if they're a bad cop, then they, well, they've just been victim to. Yeah. People don't want to think that they're highly persuadable, but they are, Mm -hmm. you know, and you look at the, the, the coronavirus stuff and, and what was going on in March there were, and I was definitely on this train, and, you know, I mean, I thought that 100,000 would die. We've exceeded that. The More people have died than, than I expected. But our perception of all of it has changed. And so what was an unknown big scary thing in March is now an unknown risk that we must navigate. And, no you know, but our perception, because we're all highly persuadable, was that this could be millions of people dying in the streets and so society at large panicked and said do whatever you have to do to make this right protect me protect me protect me (laughs) you know the we are influenced by the five people that are around us where our our worlds are made up of the hundred people that we come into contact with we are still the prehistoric animal that was uh you know our brains are the same as the the human being that existed 10,000 years ago. Uh And so when you are in a system, you are a part of that system and you gain part of your identity from that system and you, you react to the world based on those biases and the, the, uh, the system that you're in. And so if you're a police officer, for instance, that is part of your identity. You have certain beliefs about yourself and your world and your place in the world based on being a police officer and your experiences you are part of a group you want to make sure that the group likes you you want to make sure that you are are most people do not want to ruffle feathers they don't want to be an outcast they're not comfortable with with rocking the boat and so if you're a police officer you're part of a certain system that is rationalizing your interaction with the world and your experience is much different than the person on the other side of the interaction because it's inherently a violent interaction. Now, that, I'm sure eight to nine tens, a lot of times we, we cherry pick the one person who is beating the hell out of somebody or that one cop. You know, let's say, for instance, in my life, I've had a gun drawn on me by a police officer at a traffic stop one time. Well, out of the 10 times I've been pulled over, the other cops were super nice and friendly. They didn't approach me like a dehumanized criminal that needed to be, that was going to kill them, even though I was trying to get my registration out, you know? And so uh, these cops are human beings. So it depends on their mood that day. It depends on the pressure they're under. That depends on the orders that they're under, but they're influenced by the system that they're in. And that's how four cops can stand around and watch another one of their in-group kill somebody on the out-group because they've been conditioned to think that George Floyd isn't a person and that their tactics that they're using are fine because they've been ordered to do it. And so watch One Child Nation on Amazon Prime and you see people committing horrible atrocities against their fellow neighbors because the incentive of not following that order is death or they have a financial incentive in making sure that they perpetuate whatever policy the government has, they've removed the moral quandary for people. 
when you are part of a system and you can outsource your morality to the people giving you orders, you can really rationalize anything because you're just following orders. It's not me that's making this decision. It's that I'm just doing my job and you don't understand how complicated the job is and it's just unfair how I'm being treated. You don't understand. It's them that's the problem. You know, I, I did an episode called Rachel's Story about this young girl who sells two Oxycontin and goes to prison for 16 years. She has a complicated blood disease. The, the Corizon, the private healthcare system, because of constrained resources, couldn't properly care for her. She ends up going into uh, basically a full-body hemorrhage and dies in prison, and people watched her deteriorate for two weeks. The, pr the fellow prisoners were calling her parents. They were calling guards. They were, they were saying something's seriously wrong here. You have to fix this. They, the, the prison system in Indiana shipped her around from prison to prison trying to keep the father from finding out where she was. Finally, one guard in Rockville calls him and says, you need to come. Your daughter's going to the hospital. She's, on, she's in her final hours. I want you to know where she's at. How many people one came into contact <laughs> with that girl? How many? A hundred? Uh, and one person had the, the morale, had a spark of conscience, decency. the decency, the humanity to call a parent and say, I'm probably getting fired and he did, for this phone call. Oh, my God. But I'm willing to do it because this is a human being, you're a human being, and I'm a human being. But those other hundred people, the nurses, the doctors, the prison guards, the prison authorities, they were just acting as part of the system because they have outsourced their morality. They've outsourced their conscience to the system, and they're incentivized to follow orders because they've got a family to feed. You don't understand. I've got bills. I've got debt. I've got to pay. And so programmed robots. Bro. It's exactly right. And we all act Soulless. in this way. It's all, we're all unwilling. We're all willing to comply in certain ways at work or, you know, how many of us stand up to our friend who says the racist thing because, you know, I just don't want to cause the drama. We're, we all choose certain paths. We all don't want to be a jerk. Mm -hmm. But that silence is sometimes tacit. Com it's complicity with that system. And that's where police are at. And that's why police have to make a decision. Do I want to outsource my conscience to a greater body that will order me to do things that I'm uncomfortable with because I want a paycheck? Soldiers face the same quandary. Every person who draws a government paycheck has to think that same thing. Private employees have to think, am, am I doing what is right? Even though I'm making a lot of money, this is morally wrong. You know, I mean, every person has to think about the trade-offs in their own life and examine their own conscience. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there are a lot of police officers, like we saw one video where this one cop was you know, trying to beat up on some people. And this female black cop came in and started screaming at him. I think it was in Minneapolis. It was outside nice. of maybe an airport, I think. You know, that's a person who is going to change her culture because she's courageous enough to stand up and say, I'm part of this in-group and this is no longer acceptable. And when a person grows a spine, that courage becomes contagious and yep. everybody else starts doing what's right.
Yep. Yep. It just takes one. That's all. I mean, takes the first. They always say the most important is the first one to follow that lead. The first follower is the most important. Yeah. So if someone else does it, then that's when it boom. You're on. You're on the right track now. You got started. But she's definitely doing the spark, which is good. And I, I never understood. Just like in Buffalo, like, dude, if one of my friends pushed an old man to, if one of my friends in my group pushed a fucking old man to the floor and busted his head open, like, dude, I'm gonna be like, what the fuck is your problem, dude? Like, I would talk to my friend, but like you said, they just, it, it, like, like I mean, like you, I, you like think you, said, you would they trade in their you, conscience. You think you would, but you don't know for yeah. sure. Yeah. Ex- yep. Exactly. That's true. Like, will my my soul be gone? Well, my fucking my uh, super ego is gonna be out the window and given to to whoever I'm given to the master, but or the programmer, so to speak. That's the way I look at it too. It's like a just you're just a fucking robot now. You're RoboCop. <laughs> yep. Um, no conscience, no human morale. But and that's sad the way it is. But that, it goes back to the prison experiment that's just the way things are how humans are collective sheep basically uh, i was gonna ask you because i have very strong strong opinion on second amendment gun control not really gun control there's a second amendment my my point of view is i think it should just be everything should just be legal like buy any you can buy an AK, RPG, you know, uh, rocket launcher. You can have a tank in the in your backyard. That's okay. Um, what is your What is your opinion on that? Because um, I just wanted. I was curious out of curiosity. Uh, you know, people go, "What is the solution to fighting riots?" Well, <laughs> there probably wouldn't be many riots in the world that I want to build because government is a monopoly on force. And so what it does is it factionalizes people and then pits them against each other. And so you feel the need to vote out of self-defense against Donald Trump or Joe Biden because they're going to use the force of government to impose their worldview on you. Mm -hmm. And in a libertarian society, the world that I want to build, you are choosing who you are interacting with. You will interact with people that you personally don't like or that may not have your best interest at heart. And the people that are trying to defraud you or trying to harm you, there will be police and courts and there will be a need for human nature is just human nature. There's always going to be criminals. But the criminals don't get to control the government to rob you and loot you. (laughs) And so... The world is a violent, awful place right now because we are overwhelmed and we are our brains are programmed to deal with 100 people and we are trying to keep straight people in Africa and India and China and trying to comprehend life for people in Idaho when we live in Indiana. Like there's, there's just too much happening and it's too hard for our little prehistoric brains to comprehend it all and so you have to have localism you have to have a world of voluntary peaceful interactions on a local level and Mm -hmm. when you choose to interact with people 
instead of having to fight people, it creates a much more peaceful world. And so the need for self-protection becomes less. And so the need for a tank becomes less. (laughs) The need for a nuclear weapon becomes less because we're focused on making money. We're not focused on killing you. So we're less focused on the militaristic society that we have built up because we need to defend ourselves from enemies in Russia and China. We're focused on building a great business and hiring a lot of people and giving a lot of money to charity. It's a fundamental worldview shift. And so philosophically, should you be able to own a nuclear weapon or a tank or sure, but the, will you need to use it? Do you need to use it? No. And you shouldn't use it. You should be a nonviolent person. And so you will, in a, it's not in a libertarian world you will need to own a gun. It's that you should own a gun now. The mm-hmm. gun debate is over. Look at what's going on in the world. Look at what's happened the last three months. Look at how unable local, state, and federal governments are to protect you. It's a sham. It's, it's a fool. You, you, if you think that the government of any level can protect you and your property, you're being a chump. You're being fooled. So you are responsible for your business. And there's, there's a guy in uh, some western state who some white teenage Antifa kids were trying to break into his store, and he was trying to chase them off. I think he was, he was of Hispanic descent, and... Uh, you know, he's being canceled because he, he used the N-word, which was totally inappropriate. But they're oh, trying shit. to break the windows of his store. And so he goes to his truck and gets out a chainsaw and starts chasing them off. And the comments on the Twitter thread were like, how can we turn him in for being violent? He was, res- he was defending himself from violence. And so... Yeah. And thieves. And thieves. And so he did... Well, he, what he said was not right. What he did was protect him and his family. And they were all like, call the cops. He's got a chainsaw. And, he, and he's like, call the cops. I want you to call the cops. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's your responsibility to protect yourself, your family. Like, if you don't believe in guns and somebody breaks into your house, what are you going to do? Like, I don't own a firearm, right? But mm-hmm. let's say somebody breaks into my apartment, like, I have security strategies here uh, in place. But if I call the police, what's their response time? Half hour? Nine minutes? 20 minutes? Two hours? Do they respond at all? There's a con- the Supreme Court has ruled that they have no right or need to respond to your 911 call. So <laughs> you're on your own. And if you don't think that you're on your own and... You think that the government can save you or protect you in any level, in any way, shape, or form? You're just being had. You're being a fool. Like, you, you are believing a lie because politicians want you to vote their personal power in. Don't believe it. So, should you own a firearm? That's your choice. That's your right to own a firearm. That's your constitutional right to do so. And that includes whatever firepower you think is necessary you just can't use it on other people. You can't use it to intimidate. You can't use it to steal. You can't use it to kill. You have to be a responsible gun owner, uh, mm-hmm. and most people are. No, definitely, especially out here. I'm in Nevada. Um, we have 
Eh, not so much. Eh, no, no, Nevada has great gun laws compared to like California, where I'm from. It's just ridiculous. They kind of like California is. You have to have like it locked separately. It's just so funky. It's like you. Why not? Why even have one? But yes, um, defending your like for your self protection. That's that's you said it. I mean, it, how helpless you're gonna be if you're in, someone breaks in your fucking house and you you're just defenseless. It's kind of. Sad because I, I mean, I had friends in my, you know, I'm always talking in the group chat with my friends, and you know, one guy in particular was saying like, "Why do you need a gun?" Why he kept asking, I'm like, "Dude," and I was like, "It's not even that." And he was saying, "I was saying it's not even so much about needing the gun; it's the freedom to whether to make that choice or not." I say, "If you don't want to, if I want a gun, cool, let me have my gun, whatever the hell gun I want for me." If, and if you don't want your your firearm, then I don't give a shit about you. Like I don't care. That's your your decision, not mine. Right. So it's it's kind of sickening when it, it's sick. It's it's literally sickening to my stomach when I see just people that want their opinion. It's a, their opinion on that matter of guns to force it as law for everybody just because they think it's the right thing. It's, right. It's kind of it's sickens my stomach. Like no, just let us do what the hell we want. It's freedom. That's I'm sure that's a big staple of libertarianism is the freedom of fucking choice. Like you, you pretty much do whatever the hell you want. It's not anarchy. Like you said, there's always going to, there needs to be a police force needs to be some uh, rule of law, right? You, you need those, but to what extent and for the individual and like, I'm an individualist too. Like I, I believe the individual is more important than the collective. Like definitely. Um, it's just nice to do what the hell you want. That that should be a staple, but it's so sad how far away we drifted from that. Yeah. And it's just changed drastically, and nobody realizes that. These fucking pro-Trumpers, you know, out here thinking they're patriots, quote-unquote. Like, dude, you're not a fucking patriot. You're si- Like, go look up, like, do your re- Like, uh, how ignorant can you be calling yourself a patriot and, and these are, this is not patriotic at all. Like, right. what is going, like, Nothing with him is patriotic at all. Just oh, I love my flag. Okay, that that's patriotism. Oh fuck, I guess so. But standing up to authority, these these people are shitting on these rioters, protesters, whatever you want to call them, for standing up to authority. That's as patriotic as it gets. But like, if you stand up to authority and you know protesting and stuff like that, that's. I mean, if you want to get extreme, uh, going to war with the police would probably be as <laughs> as patriotic as it gets. You know, going to war with your government, literally getting your guns and fucking having a war with them. That's I don't that's agree with that. And let me let me uh, I don't agree let me push let me push back that. on that because you know uh, what Optor proved against Slobodan Milosevic in. Uh, 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 Serbia, I think. W- what they show, there's a great book called The Blueprint for Revolution about Optor's nonviolent, humor-based campaign against the dictator Slobodan Milosevic. What Gandhi, what Martin Luther King, what, what all these people show is that if you are facing a violent system and you use violence to fight it, then the state, the power that controls the levers of public opinion will turn the public against you. 
But when you can show that the state is violent against people for no reason, then the majority of the country that doesn't see what you're saying begins to see what you're saying. And so the minority of this country was saying there's a problem with police officers, especially in regards to black men and their treatment. I don't know, just blah, 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 making excuses. And then there's a video that is so clear and an incident so obvious that no one can, it can no longer be denied. And George Floyd was not resisting arrest. And I guess he has a rap sheet, but what does that matter? Like, is, yeah, what, what is that? It's irrelevant that the oh, person God. has... All you're doing, yeah, because all they're trying to do is whitewash the situation and get you to turn away from the tragedy, from the injustice, and stop having the uncomfortable conversation you don't want to have. But people are tired of it because they saw a a nonviolent man being killed by a violent police officer. And when you start looting and rioting, And I understand, like, there's a lot of people who go, they wouldn't be covering us if there weren't property destruction. And and how dare you, as a white man, tell people of color how to express their rage? I get that. I'll fully accept that fine. Here's my but. The people that we need to stand up to change the system have found an out, and they've walked away from it. And so violent action of any kind, that's, that's why that was my concern with the Michigan protests, bringing guns to intimidate the state house members. That was the story. It wasn't that, it, it, and it wasn't translated because the power is in the hands of the leftist press. And so every rightist protest is made to look like a fool. And you give them ammunition to make you look like a fool when you show up with your gun. And so when protests take place or any movement, there has to be a, a consciousness of who you're trying to reach. And it is the majority. If you are a conservative protester mad about lockdowns, you're trying to chip away at that 90% of the country that doesn't agree with you. And so I've always been against protests, and I'm softening that a little bit because I've seen the lockdown protests and the Black Lives Matter protests chip away i have no doubt that eric holcomb our governor opened up earlier and quicker because of those protesters you know i have no doubt about it uh i have no doubt that real change is going to take place because there are protests every day in 130 cities around this country as small as fort wayne and evansville and Terre haute and not just indianapolis here so around the world too yeah right so the reality is that nonviolent protest using the violence of your opponent as as a beacon proof. as proof it, it it it's what works and it doesn't give people an out and so that's where martin luther king was smart in that he knew i need to choose the bull connors and the not dick clark uh jim clarks of the world because they're going to give us the drama that will make the news that will get the white person in Nebraska going, I don't want to live next to him, but I sure as heck don't want dogs sicked on him. You know, and so, Johnson, you need to you need to listen to them because I'm mad now. You know, like, 
yeah. it, it's you always have you have to have in a group you have to have you know in libertarianism it's the adam kokesh's of the world or the malcolm x's of the world saying this is the flag this is where we're moving towards we will stop at nothing to get there i'm going to push the the fence setters and then you have to have the pragmatists like the martin luther kings who go here's how the system works and we need to gently pull people and nudge them towards what is right and here's the solutions that we're going for you know because it change takes a long time and it can happen quickly but it takes a long time and people who have entrenched belief systems have to be challenged and if you push them too hard and i say this to some of the more radical people on my staff if you push people too hard you they sink back into their identity and they stop listening to you and so you have to you have to nudge 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 because i'm more on the pragmatic side but you do have to you can't protest everywhere you've got to be strategic about things You've got to go peacefully protest in Jim Clark's territory so he can walk out, beat on people, and then everyone goes, what the F? What they're saying is right. You have to illustrate the system without being, without making mistakes, you know? And it's, it's just, it sucks that it's that way, but that's, it just is that way. Yeah. Well, definitely a eye-opener right there, but um, what would you say about you know, the, I guess, rioters will burn down a Target or something. What would you feel if they burned down a Capitol building or a government building? How do you feel about that? Instead of, let's say they didn't, let's say no one touched a business instead. I have all the sympathy in the world for a small business owner. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I know the guy who owns Downtown Comics, and I know how hard he's worked and how... Much they he's put down his in, they didn't they didn't burn it down, but they looted it, and comics were all over the, you know, and it just sucks that he's got broken windows and destroyed property, and it's you know like I don't view it as a binary choice, like if it is going to be a binary choice, the destruction of lives is always worse than the, the destruction of property, but it's not a binary choice. two things can be true at the same time, and it is uh, a tragedy that people are losing their lives and it is a lesser tragedy that people are losing businesses uh, in all the situations that we've been talking about. Uh, And so I don't stand with people that want to loot or riot or destroy people's businesses. I think that that is, that sucks. And those small business owners are going through a hardship too. And we need to be mindful of that and, and uh, understand that, they're innocent victims in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have less sympathy for a government building that is, uh, that's sort of what I don't get is if you're mad at the police and you're in downtown Indianapolis and the police station is mm-hmm. one block west or one block east, I mean, of the comic store, why do you, why do you, dist- why do you hurt the small business owner at the comic shop and the supremacy and, and the pizza shop that's on the circle? when you could walk two more blocks and take it out on the people that are harming you, the, the people that you're mad at. I don't, I don't get that. Uh, you know, the, the, they did eventually get down there to the city county building and the state house on the other side of, of the circle, and, and there was some destruction on those property. Uh, and the politicians uh, and police chief came out and said, how dare they assault the house of the people this is all of our state house. This is all of our city county building. 
Is it or is it the house of power and people are mad at power? Uh, so, you know, burning something down and destroying it and, and, uh, and beating up public property, I don't think it's right because ultimately we have to pay for whatever preparations take place. But if you're going to make me choose, it's obviously the public institution that is causing the problems and not the private business owner that is just trying to make it. And I, I watched some live streams of stuff happening in downtown Indy and you hear people going, don't beat that one up. It's a small business beat up the subway. Cause they, they have insurance and they have corporate back. It's like, well, you don't understand franchising then franchise. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the, the reality is if you destroy something of somebody else's, somebody is going to have to pay. And it's usually not some big conglomerate. And a lot of these businesses have been shut down for three months and, you know, there's a lot of businesses that will now not come back because they had an extra two weeks plus property damage in some of these cities. And that that's just shitty. And there's no like I can make no excuse and I'm I will not side with the looting teenager that just wanted to get his jollies off by breaking a window of somebody's poor store that they have to pay to fix now. Like, I'm just not with that. Like, I'm I, I, I'm. I can separate protesters from rioters. You know, I can separate good cops like the guy in Flint from the bad cops in Buffalo. Like, I just think as an individualist, that's part of it. You have to separate this stuff out. Definitely. Well, we're reaching our hour mark, which is an hour and a half, hour to hour and a half. Um, before we wrap up things, since uh, this, like I said before, this podcast was supposed to be not supposed, yeah, about bad decisions. That's what the so I, I'm interested just to maybe a bad decision that you've made and you can you know we can laugh about it now they say bad decisions make the best memory so uh, if we want to end on that I'd love to know a bad decision that you've made in your life and and uh, maybe you learn from and other people can learn from not to do and you know it could be funny or it could be serious uh, it's up to you but um hmm. if you wanna if you wanna just think of something that that you've done was just a bad decision and you you reflect on that now. That's tough. Um, also, you've made no bad decisions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's hard being perfect. One day you'll get there. Um, you know, I think uh, I've joked about this a few times. And in hindsight, it was a bad decision, but I don't know if it was. So in 2003, okay. I was a hardcore Republican and I was very pro Iraq war. And I was outraged that all these anti-war protesters were having these rallies. And so I wanted to have a pro-war protest. And so I, I held a rally the day after Thanksgiving in downtown Indianapolis. And a thousand people showed up in cold sleet. And we had a, a couple congressmen speak and local talk radio show hosts. And I, have, I watched the video and... And I just cringe because it's as a non-interventionist anti-war person. Now I look and I go, you know, I was so <laughs> anti-free speech and I was so pro-war. I was, it just was a betrayal of everything that I believe. Now I was just so stunningly and publicly wrong. Uh, and it just was, <laughs> ugh. but no, I mean, you, you, that was younger you. So, I know, but you know? I will say that we took a video of it. We packaged it into a DVD. 
We sent it to troops who were serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, they they appreciated it. They loved seeing the circle lit up. They loved seeing Christmas time of their hometown. You know, there were hundreds of soldiers that, that got this. And, and it you know, I, I heard from several that it really boosted their morale. It made them feel like they, you know, it was such a contentious war and made them feel like they weren't alone. Mm-hmm. And so on an individual level for those folks, I, I really appreciate that. I, I think it was uh, a learning experience and it was um, not all bad and it meant a lot to a lot of people. You helped but, people with yeah, it. Yeah, so. but it was, it was definitely something that I contributed to something that I now see was incredibly harmful to our society and i feel bad about that uh but you know patrons of our our um podcast get to watch the full video and see my myself doing uh giving a speech and i'm just like oof. <laughs> well that's all right i mean like i said it's it's, it's funny now it's pretty uh, humorous, but like you said, it's actually a good thing. Like you said, you boosted morale for poor guys out there. I mean, um, out there in the fucking middle of a desert. And like, come on, dude. Like, imagine how shitty that must be. Uh, I wouldn't want to put myself out there. Yeah. But uh, Chris, I'm gonna wrap it up right there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on my podcast. Um, hope hopefully again you can come on. I, I anytime you want, just let me know. Um. And I'll keep in touch with you via Instagram. If, uh, your Instagram, what's your Instagram name? Or uh, you, We Are Libertarians is the account that I follow. I suggest you guys follow it. It's pretty funny. He's he's fair. He he bashes both sides of the political spectrum. Yep. <laughs> so it's it's all fairness. You know, it's pretty damn funny. Um, he shows the hypocrisies, and you know, it, it's a very it's a big eye opener for all you um you people with the closed minded. At least you closed minded people. You don't you. Don't want to admit that maybe you are close-minded, but um, I think you should check it out because um, we can all be close-minded in a way. So, um, yeah, we are. Just go to wearelibertarians.com. You can find it everywhere. Cool. All right, Chris. Anything else you want to say? No, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you, man. You have a good one. You too. Thank you.